Praise the Lord. Amen. If I had a symbol, I'd crash it right now. Amen. Just give someone a high five before you sit down. Greet someone and turn to them. Say hello to them. Great to have you here. Great to be here this morning. Praise the Lord. Well, we've got some great things happening overseas. Great things happening locally too. We want to just report a little bit on uh, just what happened uh, when we were away in Indonesia. And uh, we've got a, just a few pictures that we'll put up for you so you can actually see something of it. Nothing like seeing a few things. So uh, we're just going to run by just a few pictures now and you can actually see, I hope. We've got them. Can we see? Can we see? Can we see anything? Hey, there we are. I've got a thumbs up. There we go. Praise the Lord. Well, we went up to Semarang, which is about now from Jakarta. And uh, we had a tremendous time in the Bible school and a church there. Church is a growing, thriving church. And uh, God just moved and touched people so very, very powerfully. So just as we clip through these, uh, just reasonably quickly, I'll just explain. Here's their church. You notice they have dancers in the church. And uh, so I don't know whether I know how I feel about that really, but it did look nice over there. And uh, so there are some people. There's the church uh, at the moment. There's about two, 3,000 in the church. They've rented, uh, sorry, they've just bought a, uh, an auditorium over the road from where they're building. Church they're building is going to have... 12,500 seating capacity. He said, bring your church over. That's the altar call for salvation. The first three, four rows there of all those people are people giving their lives to Christ for the first time. There they are, people coming to Jesus Christ. That was our very first meeting, first uh, time we got there, and there it is, people coming to know Jesus Christ. Hands reached out, praying the sinner's prayer, many of them weeping as the presence of God touched them, came on their life. And see people there and uh, see there's someone there being deeply touched by the Lord, uh, manifesting a demon, falling over backwards into the crowd. So God just moved very, very powerfully. This is another meeting, a different group of people being saved. Every meeting we had, there were heaps of people got saved. There's my dear wife casting out a demon. Uh, and uh, it's not she's squeezing tight. Now you see there, someone there got very, very physical and was starting to pummel at me. And uh, so we're just casting demons out of him there. Oh, there's another one too. So we had a lot of excitement there with all kinds of things happening. Uh, that's in the Bible school, one of the students, and the presence of God. Now, and that one there, I'm not actually commanding the demon. I was just standing there worshiping the Lord. As we worship the Lord, the presence of God came down. And the, the more strongly we worship, the more the presence of God came and demons manifested. It's amazing. Uh, that's the Bible school. You can see the students there during the day. Every day from 9 to 1, we had uh, Bible school taught on deliverance and then ministered to people through the week. You can see the students there from a whole range of backgrounds, including a Muslim fanatic who had killed Christians and now had come to Christ, and uh, he got set free very powerfully. There's our interpreter, Sarah. She's just a lovely person. You can see that guy over there has been set free, and he's really going for it. Everyone's extremely happy because deliverance has flowed. And uh, here, this man here, it was in the main meeting. It was a leaders' meeting, actually. He'd like to stand, but he can't. If you saw it on a video clip, you'd see him try to stand up. Then his leg kept giving away. I kept commanding the demon. The moment I named the monkey god, which they worship some parts over there, immediately he fell flat on his floor, face on the other side. He was totally set free straight away. So many times, there's one of them there. If you have a look there at his hands, have you ever seen hands do that before? Now, that man's been involved in witchcraft, and when we uh, named the spirit of witchcraft, he fell on the ground. His fingers, you see how they've twisted and gone backwards? You just can't, I don't know, I've never seen anyone make things like that before. Uh, and, and the claw-like grasp is very typical of witchcraft. So as we proclaim the name of Jesus over him, he's manifesting, the demons are fearful of Jesus, and the man is being set free of the old gods that he used to worship. 
I hear we got some uh, singers again that they dance and do their tambourines. And lots of churches over there have that. Here's uh, one of the night meetings again, and you can see lots of people just excited about Jesus Christ, just loving what God is doing. There's tremendous spirit of joy in the place. That's the uh, lectern they have up there, a very, very nice one. Crowns and glory and all kinds of things on it. And uh, the people, you can see them just, uh, in a, uh, just extremely happy, extremely joyful. This is people being saved again, one of our last meetings. Here's in the Bible school. If you just uh, pause there for a moment, uh, you'll notice in some of the pictures that we've been taking, you notice there just above my uh, shoulder to the left there, big circle up in there. And then there's another one over there just straight above Sarah as well. And uh, we noticed as we took photos that uh, in almost all of the meetings, these, when there was strong worship taking place, the, you couldn't see it, but you would t when you took the photos, there were these spheres or orbs in the air, uh, either above me or above the congregation or, or mostly above musicians worshipping. So as we look at one or two more pictures, you'll probably see them turn up in the different pictures. Uh, you'll see them there all through the atmosphere there up on the left top, around there over the, the people. It's a little dim here. I mean, when you can see when you see a smaller picture, you'd see it much more clearly. You can see it there up above that guy's shoulder there as I'm praying for him. There's another one up there. And there's one on the uh, guy who's helping over here. There's one on my shoulder over there. And uh, just wherever we were, where the presence of God came and filled the atmosphere, when a flash photograph was taken, you could see in the atmosphere of the uh, meeting, you could see the spherical orbs over the place. So you can see one there very clearly hovering just above the congregation as they're worshiping and celebrating and praising the Lord. You can see them on me, just all around, around the area, just around me as I'm ministering there. Uh, if you could see it a bit more clearly, you'd see them all up in the atmosphere above the church as well. There's people being uh, prayed for and being ministered to. These, this was a, that was actually a leaders meeting. There were about 400, 500 leaders. And uh, God just moved powerfully on them to touch them and release them and set them free. He had to work with an interpreter. So uh, it's my daughter, Michelle, and come down from Shanghai to be with us. So you can see us there as a family group. And uh, just amazing, just uh, God moving in the uh, Bible school again. Again, you see uh, in that particular one I'm worshiping, you know, just look at the people there just down on my right, and you'll see the manifesting spirit or, or grief. And so as we worship God and his presence increased, there was actually healing took place and deliverance took place. You can see that girl there, and she's just about to fall down on the ground. Others have fallen down on the ground, the foreground there. You can see a person just weeping as God heals them from grief. Many of them have had parents or family killed by Muslims. Many of them have got tremendous grief. Here's some of the men. Same kind of thing happened with the men. And you can see there again, the orb is very, very clear there above that woman who's being ministered to there by my daughter. And uh, you see the orb right up on the top. They're just up in the atmosphere there above them. And this, again, is a time of worship. Sarah's just sitting there singing and worshiping the Lord. And we're moving around to pray for people. And people are just being set free all over the building. Quite remarkable presence of God. You can see, again, just over that guy's shoulder as he's being ministered to, the presence, again, of one of those orbs. And uh, just, again, singing and worshiping and God's presence coming on people to touch them. Very, very powerful. You see one just above that girl's head as well. And uh, God just touched people very powerfully. One right up above that girl's head. See right at the top of the picture there. So it's, it seemed, and there as I'm praying, you can see very clearly straight above my hand. And you can't see them, but you know when, when, when you feel the presence of God and start taking pictures, they're inevitably in the atmosphere all over the place. Now they're there again. In every meeting we took them, these things were there. But what happened was God came. God touched people. People were delivered, set free. We had uh, probably a couple of hundred saved over the time we were there. 
first-time salvations, and uh, they were followed up, and we had all numbers of people that were just delivered and released and set free. There we go. We're just moving the words of knowledge, and uh, as, as we had words of knowledge and people came out, the power of God would come on them. Some of them just manifested just while I was talking to them. So it's a wonderful thing to be in a meeting like this where God's presence, you can see the, the joy over the people's faces, you can see those orbs all around, all everywhere in the meeting there above their heads. Uh, again, people just being touched powerfully. The end of the meeting is a tremendous joy, people laughing, falling down all over the place, just a tremendous hunger for God. Church had been fasting for a week prior to his coming there. And uh, so just as, as, the, as people got delivered, the presence of God came so strongly that I just sweep my hand and whole groups of people would fall on the ground. Just was amazing presence of God there. You can see them all over the place, some laughing, some weeping, some being touched. That was our chief musician. You can see again, see these orbs up all over the place. People just celebrating, tribulation, <laughs> giving the victory, won, won the victory, and they're all very, very happy and just uh, joyful. There we go, just the last couple now. So again, the meeting, just people just, that's a leaders meeting. So church is thriving. Leaders are very passionate, very committed uh, to Christ. You can see one at the back. Just go back one. You just look up there. You can see very clearly one of those orbs again, just above people. It was just amazing just to see these things happening. But the thing was, lives were changed. That's what we look for. Keep going. And people at the end, the spirit of joy that came into the Bible school, came into the students, was just amazing. Just God's presence so filled the place and impacted lives. And then, of course, we went and had a holiday together. So there's us with the grandchildren. We had all our family with us. Uh, all, the, uh, all but one grandchild was with us as well. So there were 15 of us there. And we just had a great family time together. That's the whole group. Unfortunately, one is missing. We forgot him. <laughs> does still happen <laughs> no one I couldn't believe it here we just had a meal together up in the mountains by the volcano and it was great we just had a wonderful family holiday uh, quite an investment of expense but it was just well worth it to have for a whole week the whole family just able to be together connect and build relationships cost you to build family but it's well worth it you can see obviously how much fun it is <laughs> for everyone involved There we go, thanks. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. So, I want you to open your Bible with me in Luke chapter 17. We want to begin a series now, uh, and we're doing a series uh, concerning offenses, the bait of Satan, and uh, you'll be doing the study book through the uh, small groups as well. I encourage you to get a book and go through it, and uh, you might say, oh, well, I know all this stuff, this kid stuff, listen, don't worry about what you know, it's what you're living out's the thing. And uh, what God's wanting to do in this season we're in the church, I believe, is just to open up our hearts and cleanse our lives at a greater level. And so you'll be noticing we do three things during this term. One will be increasing the time of just worship, just waiting in the presence of God. Two, uh, we have some encounter retreats coming up. They are workshops. They're not just hanging around and waiting for God to do something. A time of teaching, a time of, uh, of activation, to encounter God. So there'll be brochures and that put out about those, and we'll tell you more about those as we get nearer. So during this coming season, we're going to be looking at this issue of offenses. Now, how many know that the Bible says there's some things which God considers are first? Tells us what to do first. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. How many know God wants you to seek Him first? 
Then the Bible tells us when you come to worship God, when you come to praise Him and gather, He says, first, be reconciled to your brother. So God puts our relationships with one another as a very important indicator of what your relationship with God is really like. Now, in church, you have lots of people say, I love God. Well, God's easy to love. He's way out there. But, you know, loving people, now that's something else. And uh, we would get on fine with God if it wasn't for all the people that say they follow Him. You know, they're the ones that are the trouble. How many know that? But we've got to learn to get past all of that and grow up and mature and realize that not only is Jesus in heaven, but His Spirit is in a body of people called the church. And your attitude to His people, the church, is your attitude to Him. Say that again. Your attitude to His people, the church, is your attitude to Him. Because He and His body are one. Jesus said, He do this least, my brethren, you do it to me. Your attitude to church, to God's people, called the church, is your attitude to God Himself. How you relate to God's people is an indicator of the true condition you have before God. If you don't understand that, you'll find then you'll excuse, you'll become a hypocrite. You'll actually come and lift your hands and praise God and worship God, and yet you'll neglect to deal with the relationship issues which in God's eyes are very important. And one of the reasons Jesus came, he came to heal and, and restore relationships. So over this uh, next season, we're going to have an opportunity to remove hidden blocks in our hearts to relating. We're going to have an opportunity to identify them. We've got an opportunity to grow up and mature. Tell someone next to you, God wants you to grow up. Okay, we're reading Luke 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, that's saying to us, he said, it's impossible not to have offenses in your life. Offenses are going to come in our life. Now, how many of you have ever seen, anyone know when a little child's offended, what they're like? Little child's offended, you can see it written all over them. That's one of the great things I have about little kids. At least you see what's going on. And you can tell they're offended. You can tell something's got into them because they close their arms up like this. Their spirit is closed up. Their soul is closed up. And their body is closed up. And you get that kind of behavior. You know they're offended. And there are strategies for dealing with that with children. Now, when a teenager gets offended... How many know you can usually recognize when the teenagers get offended because they get very like what the kids get? bang the door and no talks and uh, just all these kind of things. You can tell quite easy when teenagers are offended because they just have a real attitude. How many know that? When adults get offended, it's not always so easy to identify because we become more clever at disguising it. Isn't that true? So we want to discover today, in the session we're looking today, uh, we want to see that offense, offense is a bait that Satan uses to catch you. And if he can get you to take the bait, he's got you. And your life will be manipulated, your relationships won't prosper, and you'll have many problems in your life because you got sucked in and took the bait. You know, I love chocolates. So when I see chocolates, it's very hard for me not to want to go and help myself to one. Right? So, But you wouldn't always know if there was a little hook inside it, you know. The fish never, if you, one of the things about trying to catch fish is you've got to, one, you've got to go where the fish are, but two, you've got to put a bait down that they like and they want to eat. And once you put out something they eat, they don't, what they see is the bait. They don't see the hook. They saw the hook, they never eat the bait. And if you saw that a fence had a hook in it to catch you, you'd never eat the bait. 
And yet, we don't see the hook, and we don't see how we get caught, so therefore, we allow ourselves to become offended so easily, and we get manipulated by demonic powers. Uh, not only just individuals, but whole churches go through this, businesses go through this, families break up because of offenses. Marriages break up because of offenses. In other words, people get drawn in, they take the bait of offense, and then they find all of their relationships become destroyed. It is a tool the devil uses. Notice what Jesus said. He said several things. He said, he's warned, first of all, he's warning his disciples about a major strategy of the devil. Paul says, we're not ignorant of how the devil operates. We know how he operates. He's had thousands of years, and he uses not, not very many tools. He doesn't have to use very many because he found the ones he's got work well. This one's a classic. It always works. And uh, church is a place often where people are offended and they get removed from where they ought to be and where they should prosper. So notice what Jesus said. He said, offenses are going to come. So welcome to the world we live in full of offenses. Someone is going to upset you sometime. If they haven't already, how many got upset already today? They say, some already got upset say, on the way here. Get cut off coming in the drive there. And so you go, oh, 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 oh. who do they think they are? You know, someone got your seat. That's just, I mean, that's what, that's what can get to happen in church. Someone got my seat. Someone got my seat. And now they don't even get into worship. Now they're just glaring at the person there who's in their seat. There's no names on any seats as far as I'm aware of. We have our seat. Don't sit in my seat. <laughs> No, but that's what happens. We get like that, don't we? Isn't that true? Say so we get our seat or we get our thing. And when we don't get what we want, then we get huffy. And so we're try and get a few names and terms that might describe what a person who's offended like. Because if I ask you offended, you'll say no. But uh, you may be before the end of the service. You never know. <laughs> so Jesus said very clearly, offenses are going to come. Uh, a second thing is offenses will separate and divide relationships. Offenses are designed by the devil to... Uh, they're designed by the devil, or the devil exploits them to divide relationships. God uses them to build our character. The devil exploits them to divide our relationships. God uses them to build our character, makes us better people. God uses them to build us. That's why Jesus said they're going to come. In fact, I can tell you right now, you will not go through life without heaps of offenses coming your way. And the difference between people who grow great and people who don't is they know how to quickly deal with and get over an offense when it comes. And, and you can see, it's amazing how easily some people are stopped. You can tell how big a person is by how quickly they're stopped. Eh? You get one of those big, you know, big um, all blacks there and they've got plenty of beef on them and they start running. Now you try and stop one of them. Man, that's hard to stop. But I've seen, I've seen people who have been Christians for years and one that they got miffed because they got left out of a list or didn't get invited to this or that. And next thing you know, they're stopped dead in their tracks spiritually. A little thing. How could they be so small? It's to be affected by a little thing like that. But it is true that we get, we get hurt. Our feelings, our pride gets hurt. And so when our pride gets hurt, then we get upset. We get upset. We, another word for upset is offended. So we're going to use the Bible word offended all the time. And so you'll probably use other kind of words. Well, I was hurt. Offended. Well, you find someone who's prickly. They're offended. Find someone who's gone cold quiet. They're offended. Someone who's not talking. They're offended. Someone who's touchy, offended. You know, these are, that's what, call it what it is. You know what it is then. You can deal with it. See, so offenses in prison and hold people in bondage to spirits. Jesus made it very clear. If you don't quickly deal with issues in your relationships, 
demonic spirits will come in and deal to you in a way that will hurt you. He made it very clear in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, that if we do not forgive from our heart everyone, his brother, their trespasses, we will be exposed to demonic influence harassing and hurting us. When I work in the area of deliverance, by far the greatest source of demonic interference in lives is offenses that were unresolved and grew into hatred and bitterness. And so I've learned over and over and over and over. And again, another thing I found is that the people won't deal with it. They can never be free of the demons. Isn't that interesting? I learned that a little while ago. And I've realized then that relationships are by far the greatest source of strength for our life. They're God's design for our life. But they potentially are the greatest source of hurt and problems in our lives. And so all of us are here because at some point... We had the need for a relationship with God and what we found in our other relationships wasn't enough. Now God wants to help us in those relationships. So notice what Jesus says, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. So offense is the bait of a trap. The word offense means literally, it's the word interesting. In Greek, it's scandalon, from which we get scandal. Now people love scandals. Tabloids thrive on scandals. The ladies' magazines thrive on scandals. You ever seen the ladies' magazines? You ever read any of them? You no, know, they all shake their head. You're lying, you know. I know you're lying. You see one around, of course you pick it up. Because it's got a thing, you know. Prince Andrew did this and this and this. Oh, i got to see that. You may not buy the magazine, but you'll have a look at it and read through the pictures and put it back on the shelf. That's what goes on. And uh, we know what people do. And uh, then it's left around. You pick it up and you find out. And you notice how they thrive, you know. If you look at those, those ladies' magazines, they thrive on scandals. The movie stars, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, suddenly it sells like hotcakes. And why? Because everyone wants to read about a scandal. We just, something in us wants to get in and find out all the smut and say, Ooh, isn't that terrible? Look what they did. Tell everyone else about it. This is what goes, this is so destructive to relationships. It is really, isn't it? But we thrive on it and they make their money on it. Now they make their money on it. They make their money on it. You, being, you feeding on someone else's scandal. It's actually a food. Think about that. If a newspaper makes so much money, if the local paper, if the local paper decided to shift and become a tabloid which exploits scandals, which it's doing, it does it because they think they'll make money out of it. Why? Because they know you'll buy into it. Why will you buy into it? Because it's food. I want to read about it. Ooh. I'd never do that. <laughs> that's what we do. That's what goes on. You know that. And, uh, of course, that's how gossip goes around. Everyone, it all goes around. See? So the thing about, so the word scandalon in Greek is the word we get scandal when someone does something that offends or upsets or hurts or gets people annoyed, irritated, or gets them uh, really upset. So uh, uh, the word scandal in the Bible or scandal on the Bible, it's the stick used. Remember you used to use those traps and you get a box and you'd stick stick there and you put some bait in there and the stick would hold the box up and they have the string. And the birds would see the bait, go in and get the bait. You pull the stick. It's done. The trap closes, the birds are caught. We used to do that. I think that was great. Now you play Xbox games and you kill them. <laughs> but we didn't in those days. You had the stick and the trap. And uh, it's a long time ago. How many remember doing that kind of stuff? Hey, see, look there. There we go. We remember doing that kind of stuff. 
There we are. Others haven't got a clue what, how to do it, you see. Just want to shoot something on a, on a TV screen. And uh, anyway, let's have a look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And it says here, <clears throat> and notice here what it tells us. It says, uh, it says in verse uh, 24, Now the servant of the Lord must, be, must not strive, but must be gentle to all men, in meekness instructing those who impose them, who oppose themselves, and perhaps God will give them repentance to acknowledging the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who captures him any time he likes. Notice some things that are in that scripture there. Number one, we see the devil sets snares. The devil sets a trap for you and I. There are many different traps. Uh, he watches how we operate. He watches our weak points. And then he lays a trap for us. And uh, the idea of it is to capture people, to get a hold of their life, to get a hold of their thinking. Because whatever's got your thinking has got you. So if he can get preoccupy your thoughts with how someone's hurt you, he's got your life. So people get captured whenever the devil wants, captured at his will. So some of you, some of you here today, anytime the devil wants to tweak you, he can get you going. He just winds you up. And so the next time some great opportunity in God comes, as you're on your way to fulfill it, he'll just rile you up and get you offended. And you'll quit on it and give up. And this is what happens to people. We quit and give up because we got hurt or offended for some reason. And so notice the devil captures people. That word capture means to make a prisoner of war, to capture someone and uh, imprison them so they can't do anything much. So you're ineffective in your life. You know, God doesn't want the church to be ineffective. He wants us to be a very effective group of people. And to do that, we have to be free of being offended by one another and harboring resentments and grudges and building walls. We've got to learn to flow as a community, to flow as a body of people. The Western concept of Christianity is one of, it's just God and me. Well, you know, the Bible says very clearly, if you can't love your brother who you do see, how can you really say you love God who you don't see? So the real measure of our Christianity is the outworking of our connections, relationships, and sense of community as a people. And, and so we have to really work on this area of building community, connection, and connectedness together. So people don't realize what's happened. They actually get deceived by the trap. They think when they're hurt that they're justified. Well, he hurt me. Don't like to treat me like that. I'm, well, I'm just, I'm, well, I'm going to, I remember one guy, and it was just hilarious. I went in a group, there was a group of Cook Islanders, and there was one in there, and we're in this meeting, and, and, uh, and we're sitting down there, and, and one of them's sitting there, and he's obviously offended. Arms are closed like this, legs crossed, you know. He's clearly, his whole body language says his soul and spirit are shut up. He's offended. So anyway, I waited a little bit. Then he finally said, well, you got something to share? He said, yes, yes. He said, I just went down to the bank and I stopped my tithe. And there was a <gasps> gasp from all the Cook Islanders that were there, you see. And it's almost like they shuffled their chair back as though the heavens were going to go open up and God was going to burn him on the spot. I could feel that was what they were thinking. <gasps> used to be a pastor and now he's done this he stopped his tithes and, and, I, and I could see they were all reacting to it you see and I said why have you done that he said well God hasn't answered my prayers God hasn't come through and da da he went off on all his offenses with God and I said well I said I'll tell you what now, of course they all expect me to tell them oh you're going to die I said no listen you're so blimmin miserable you might just well take your tithe and go out and have a meal with it take your family with you because they'll all be miserable too with you like that I said, God doesn't need your money, wants your heart. And your heart's far from God right now, so your money won't really help. What you need to do is get your heart right. 
And you know, he was shocked at that response. He never expected that. I said, go on, take it. Go out and buy yourself something. Have a great meal. Take your family out. Do something good with it because you're so flippant miserable and offended. How can God bring any kind of blessing around your life? Just deal with it. And so we just talked with him a little bit. And he came back and it was very soon he was back on track again and going, right. But the problem was he'd become offended because what he expected didn't work out. He'd become captured. Okay? Now notice it says in that verse here, it says that the people who become offended by taking in the bait that Satan's given to them need to recover themselves out of the trap. So in other words, that word recover yourself means to sober up again. You ever met a person who's drunk? Ever been drunk? Isn't it funny? He asks these questions. One or two, there's one honest person who's been drunk. Now, half the church are lying. I know that. I know that. I know that. I can remember very clearly being drunk myself on whiskey. I tried it once. That was it. I've never had it again. Terrible stuff. My first day on a ship to go and do a trip down the Antarctic. I spent the first half day with my head in a bowl. It was a shocker because the Americans had fed me whiskey the night before. Dreadful stuff. Anyway, I didn't know how to handle it. So drunk. Now, when, you, when you're drunk, you lose your senses. How many know you lose your senses? You can't drive right, can't talk right, you can't think right, you can't do anything right, can't even walk right. You're under the influence of something. Now, if you were sober, you'd be all right. But when you're under the drink, you know, and you're all over the place singing, or some get mad and fighting mad and they get drunk. Some just get, uh, all kinds of stuff comes out when people are drunk. And, and the thing is, they're under the control of a spirit. And so the Bible says, when you sober up, whew, my God, what have I done? Oh dear, I don't even remember what I did. And someone tells you, oh, I didn't, did I? Oh no, that, you know, and they got the pictures to show it. It's a horrible thing getting drunk. People think that's a lot of fun being under, being drunk, you know. And, yeah, you know, that's fun. I don't think so. See, see, under the influence of another spirit. Right? Now, you see, so those who've had that experience being under the influence of alcohol, see, it's, it's using that as a picture to show what it's like when you're under the influence of an offense or under the influence of a demon. You don't think right. You don't do right. You don't talk right. You don't behave right. You, make goofy, you do goofy things and you hurt people. And so the Bible says, if you've become offended, the devil has got a hook into you and you've got to recover yourself or sober up or get out of that influence. Out of the influence of what? The influence of the offense you've picked up. Because if you don't deal with the offense, you'll remain in that drunken condition under the influence of that offense and you'll make stupid decisions and say silly things that later on you'll really regret. How many, know, how many have been at a time where you got angry and you said and did something you really regretted later on? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember trying to witness to a guy. Man, we were trying to witness this guy. His wife was in the church, and, and uh, she, we were trying to do everything, get this guy to come to church. And uh, one day I had to go out to this appointment, and I couldn't find the kids. And they'd gone around to Lash's place, around the other corner, you see. So I thought, oh, and now I'm getting wound up and offended. Eh? So I roar around the road there in the car, stop there, and pull the kids into the car. You know, I'm, you know wound, offended, you see. And so I put my foot down. Well, did I do a wheel spin? Wheels all went and the mud flew out because the ground was all soft and there's a huge hole left in this grass. Now, I didn't know, of course, when, until the next day later, the, the lady said to me, oh man, she said, someone left this huge hole in our lawn. My husband is absolutely hit the roof over this vandalism of his lawn. If he finds out who's done it, he's going to really get into them. 
Sorry, Jesus. But sorry, Jesus doesn't cut it. Because it wasn't Jesus' lawn. <laughs> so Jesus was a bit miffed me too, you see. So I had to put it right with him first. Because all sin is personal and relational. It's against God and it's against people. So you've got you to do it. You've got to say so. You've got to do something. So what you have to do is eat a whole heap of humble pie. So now I thought, God, I know what's going to happen. If I sit on this one, he's going to find out, and then it'll be worse. I've got to just eat humble pie. So I've got to go around, knock on the door. Oh. <laughs> the pastor of the church that's trying to win him to Christ had to come and apologize for doing a wheelie on his lawn and eating out his lawn and had to offer to fill it up and repair it. And he, but he was so shocked that I'd done that. He was, he, he was absolutely stunned. Never, the last person in the world he ever thought to come and knock on his door and say, would you please forgive I'm sorry. You know, I got really upset and angry and I've messed up your life. I'll come and fix it. Okay? And he was shocked by that. But it, it changed his heart attitude. You see, but the thing is, offenses cause you to do stuff and say stuff that you've got to eat humble pie later on to get over. Better not to harbor offenses. How many know what I'm talking about here? Tell someone next, he's talking to you, man. This is really for you. You need this one. And that'll get them really offended, of course. What do you mean? I need it. <laughs> what do you mean I need it? I don't get like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you should have a two yet, eh? I never get offended. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, and so let's have a... So we see there, offenses are like a bait. They draw people in, they get sucked in, they get caught up in it, and then they get impacted by it. Let's have a look at Matthew 24, 10. I want to show you three things that happen when you get offended, because there's a process. And it actually progresses. And if I was to say, are you offended? You'll say no. If I say, do you betray relationships? You'll say, no, not me. Well, I didn't even think of such a thing. And if I say, do you hate some of the people here in this church? You say, oh, this is outrageous. He should say that I should be like that. However, when we see what it really means, you'll, maybe you'll have a reconsider. And so the whole thing of this message is trying to get you to think that perhaps, maybe, I've got a little bit of offense. So we need to recognize, are you offended? How would you know if you were offended or not? How would you know? See, you don't always know if you're offended because you don't always feel it, but you always reveal it. You don't always feel it, but you always reveal it. Okay? So if you're offended, the fruit will come out. It will always come out. You can't stop it coming out. And we'll just show you the progression. Notice there's a progression here. Jesus said, in the last days... Many, that's heaps of people. So there's got to be more than one here in the church that's in an offended state right now. Turn to the person next to you. Say, now I know he's talking about you. This is for you. Hope you're listening to this one. And if he wasn't offended before, he will be now. <laughs> so we're, we've got everyone now. Many are now offended. Have we got that now? Many offended. So many offended. So, and it says... And as a consequence of, of being offended, the next step after the offense is to betray people they're connected to. And then the next step after that is to begin to hate them. And the Bible says there's a clear progression that follows from being offended. So in Proverbs 18 verse 19, it says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. In those days, of course, the cities had a huge wall around it. And the war, purpose of the wall was to keep people out that could hurt the city. So when you are offended, what you do is your spirit closes up. Now, God has called us to be ministers of the Spirit. 
So if you're offended, your spirit closes up. You can never function like God wanted you to function in a relationship. Because we are spirit people. So something flows out of our life that impacts people. So the uh, Bible says a person who's offended closes up their spirit like their soul shuts down, their spirit closes up, and they're like a clam that suddenly shut up. There's no life. There's nothing comes in. Now the person's trapped inside. No one can get in and he can't get out. If you are offended, no one can get in and touch you and you can't get out. You're actually isolated by your offense. So a, a, an offense builds a wall around your heart it keeps you con- from being connected to relationships. Now, one of the difficulties in churches, people say, there's no friends. No one loves me. You know, I, don't, I feel alone. Now, you've got to ask yourself, is this, I'm not saying the feeling isn't real. Is the feeling because actually you've built so many walls in your life that you don't really do what's needed to form the kind of relationships that will fulfill your life? See, we're responsible to build relationships. They don't just arrive. We actually build them. See, people come to church and get offended. There's no love here. Now, listen, that's not the truth. The truth is you've got issues in your heart that stop you connecting and being embraced in love. It takes commitments to build relationships. You can't build a marriage without putting effort and commitment and time into it. If we want relationships, you have to actually invest in them. And if your heart is locked up with walls of offense you will struggle to form relationships and feel always, no matter how many meetings you go to, very lonely and disconnected. And there's many of us are like that. And God wants the church to shift out of that mode. We have small groups. Small groups are not to have meetings. It's not about a meeting. It's about community. It's about connecting together and loving one another and being there for birthdays and celebrating one another's victories and weeping and supporting one another during the devil. That's what it's about. That's what church is about. And if it's not like that, you've got to ask yourself, it's not because we're not trying to make it happen. It's because we've got walls that stop it happening. A brother offended has got walls around that won't let anyone in. They actually stop people coming in. They stop people getting near you. So you see a child offender is very obvious. And the Bible tells us about strongholds that are built in the mind. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 to 6 tells us that the devil builds strongholds in our mind. A stronghold is just a way of thinking. And it's, it's a stronghold in the Bible was a fortified position that no one could get in. So you can have a stronghold in your mind. And if there's a stronghold in your mind, no one can get into your life. And if you've got issues and attitudes of offense, no one will get in and connect with you. You'll actually shut people out. And so it takes real effort to get through that. And uh, those uh, things in our mind, well, I'm hurt. Well, they shouldn't have treated me like that. Well, they owe me. You know, they ought to do this right. Da, 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 da. When we've got that sort of things, how can you walk with God and know God if you're like that? You can't. It actually stops you. It exalts yourself and your own ego against really going on in God. Now, one of the reasons many Christians never really develop in their relationship with God is because we don't deal with relationships with people very well. God watches how you treat people, you know. And he cries out to, they cry out to him too. And, and he watches what we do with our relationships. He's very, he always watches that. So we've got to be here. So who are the people who offend us? Well, the people who offend us are the ones near to us. Jesus said that people would be portrayed by parents, by family, by friends, by relatives. Literally, no one can really offend you very much unless they got near to you. If they got near to you and you opened your heart up to them, 
then you became vulnerable to them, then they could hurt you. Stranger down the road doesn't offend you very much. Not really. It's the someone who's near to you. So the people who are near to you are your mother and your father, your brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, school friends, teachers, then later on, people you form relationships with, people in church, people in your workplace, people you form bonds with, the ones you let near to you are the ones generally that offend you because you have a high expectation that the relationship will be different. So when you find, much to your horror, the person has got feet of clay and they make a mistake and they forget something, that's what happens in marriages, you know? Before the marriage is the period of great deception where she's just so sweet and beautiful and the only time you ever see her, she's dressed up and got the makeup and the eyes smiling and lovely on the phone you know and then after and, and of course he's looking his best too you say trying to put on the impression trying to win and, and, and never anything out of place then afterwards you wake up now real life begins see and you start to and see what happens is many people become offended because what they expected never happened People come into church, they get offended at the pastor, the music, the church, the money, the de- everything. Why? Because they had an idea what it ought to be like, and when it wasn't like that, they get offended. And so offenses come when we have expectations. Now, the next thing from an offense is a betrayal. To betray someone is, is uh, a terrible thing. See, we tend to, tend to think of some sins as being really bad and others being not so bad. But actually, in God's eyes, I believe betrayal is one of the worst. Betrayal is one of the worst. We are called to be a covenant people. When Jesus enters into a relationship with us, he enters into covenant with us. Is that correct? When we have communion, when we have communion, what are we doing when we say, when we have communion? We're remembering that we are in covenant with God and in covenant with one another. Oh, don't tell me that. Now, it's not just about you being in covenant with God. We as a people are a covenant people. And you can't separate God from his people. So, you, when, so that's why the Bible says, when we, notice we talk about the bread, we're one body, and the cup, the one life, and the blood, we're in covenant relationship with Christ and with his people. That's why the Bible says, if you don't recognize that, you will offend people, you will have bad relationships with people, and eventually it will lead to sickness and premature death because you never discerned Christ and his people. We have to deal with offenses. That's why the Bible tells very clearly, before you have communion, just have a look into your heart, how you are with your brother and sister, and put things right quickly. It's important. And so uh, when the Bible's talking about betrayal, it means to violate a relationship. You violate trust in a relationship. You violate loyalty. You actually betray the person by giving up the relationship so you can preserve yourself. When you give up the relationship... To preserve or advance yourself, you have betrayed the person. Say that slowly now. When you give up a relationship so you can save or preserve or advance yourself, you betray the relationship. Now, see, we tend to think of betrayal. Oh, well, you know, the guy was a traitor. He sold our secrets to the enemy. Well, that's kind of, and so it's way out there. But what we don't see is if I'm in relationship with people and then... I give up on the relationship so I can save myself or so I can get myself ahead, that is betrayal. Now, that takes place a lot. In all my years of ministry, the hardest things to get over 
has been within New Zealand the inability of people to hold relationships and the persistent one after the other betrayal of relationship. And it's not just my experience. I've talked with other pastors. The thing that's taken more pastors out of ministry is betrayal of trust in relationships. I can remember clearly being at one of the lowest ebbs of my life and sharing a personal struggle with uh, someone who was actually, uh, I won't identify them, but uh, uh, was in a pastoral level. And they shared and disclosed what I'd shared with them with a prayer group. Now that was betrayal. It happened not once, but twice. Now that betrayal, now this is why betrayal, betrayal affects you so deeply, you can't easily enter back into relationship. It's hard to trust again, see? Now, because it's, it damages relationship, that's why it's serious to God. Now, this is what happens in New Zealand. New Zealand tends generally for pe- people, what I've, my observation over years now, is people, if it serves their interest, will give up a relationship and get themselves ahead. And that's an area the Bible calls betrayal, to save ourselves or to get ourselves ahead, to betray someone. And betrayal is a grievous thing. I've been amazed at people I've sat and ate and drank with and shared my home, heart, family, and resources with, and then later on they betrayed the relationship. It's heartbreaking. And you know what that's like. So I believe that not only are some of us sitting here offended by what others have done, some of us have been betrayed very deeply in relationships. People you trusted, and they betrayed the trust and sold you out so they could just advance themselves. It's heartbreaking. And some of us have been betrayers. You've done it. I've done it. And not realize what I was doing and how serious it is in God's eyes. When you're offended, you will shut your heart up and then you'll betray the person. You look for a way to preserve yourself or get yourself ahead and let go the relationship. That is betrayal. Think about that one now. So there are many examples of it in the Bible. Let me just throw a couple out of you. But uh, here's one uh, in Judas. Judas, you know why Judas betrayed Jesus? He was offended because Jesus confronted him over money. Straight afterwards, he betrayed him. He confronted him twice over money, and straight after, he betrayed him. Another one who was betrayed was Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers because they were envious of what he had. When you're envious of what someone has, inevitably you'll be offended that they've got something you haven't got and you'll betray them. You'll find a way to tear them down and pull them down. Think about that. Think about this. The disciples became offended and betrayed Jesus. They walked away when it looked like they could run into a risk. That's betrayal. Think about Absalom, David's son. He stood in the gate and he, and he, got, he gathered with all the hurt people. Oh, tell me your problem. Oh, Oh, that's so sad. Oh, you've been so badly treated. Now, if I was the king, I'd do something about that. And the king hasn't really set anything up to fix that up, so it's not fair really, is it? Now, that is betrayal. That is betrayal. And that goes on all the time. You watch out for someone who does like that. They're an Absalom. And they'll always undermine someone that God has endorsed so that they can advance themselves. And the way you'll always know it is after you've been with them, you'll have an attitude against someone you never had an attitude against, and you'll feel this is a very wonderful person. You pick up the spirit that the person ministers. An offended person will betray their relationships. David, 
uh, 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 his failure to discipline his son over the rape of the daughter uh, caused uh, Absalom to become highly offended, and so he betrayed his father. Terrible thing. Betray your own family. That's horrendous, a horrendous betrayal. And then the last thing is hatred. So we tend to think, of course, hatred. Now we think hatred. You think, that's what we think hatred is, you see. And so we think, well, I'm not like that, so I don't hate anyone. Is that true? Is that how the reasoning goes? Well, I'm not like that. Now listen, have you ever noticed, have you ever read in the paper when someone beats someone violently in a drunken brawl in a pub or kills someone after they've been drinking, how afterwards they snap out of it and they say, I don't know what happened. Something came over me. I'll tell you what came over them. Offense, then betrayal, then hate that was in the heart sprung up. Now, hatred is a seed in the heart, and when hatred is present in your heart as a seed, it will always manifest in a variety of ways. The Bible says that uh, uh, Absalom hated Amnon, but what he did was he never spoke good and he never spoke good. He just didn't speak. He sat on it, and there was a coldness in the relationship. That's hatred. A lot of people are like that in their relationships. Cold. That's hatred. Because love will actually embrace and welcome and gather people up and bring life to them. Joseph's brothers hated him, and they couldn't speak any good about him. Every time they're with him, they're picking on some fault. When you're continually picking on faults on people, that's hatred manifesting. Amnon hated Tamar, and so he rejected her and avoided her. When you reject and avoid people, that's hatred. It's definitely not love, is it? Hey, definitely not love. When you hate and avoid, when you avoid people, reject them, won't embrace and celebrate them. In Proverbs 26, 24, it says, he, uh, lying lips disguise that there's hatred in the heart. Listen, if you lie to someone, you hate them. That is a manifestation of hate. You say, I don't feel hatred. I'm just lying. And they say, no, 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 no. Lying, if you love the person, you talk the truth. When you lie to them, that's a fruit of hatred in the heart, which comes out of offense. Now you see, once we start to see this, you start to recognize that the fruits of offense are present in our life. How do we recognize it? Well, very simple. Very, very simple. How do you know if you become offended? It's so easy. There'll be a progression of fruits in your life. If you're offended, your spirit will close up and now you'll no longer speak your heart. You'll be guarded. You'll be prickly. You'll be touchy. You'll avoid people. Then you know you're offended. When you deal with them, you'll deal with them coolly. Instead of celebrating them, you'll tolerate them. I can tell the difference between being celebrated and tolerated. I feel the difference. What do I feel? I feel the wall and no flow of embracing and love. When you're celebrated, you feel someone's spirit goes out and welcomes you in their world and you feel loved. But when there's walls of offense, it may not be with me, it may be with someone else, but people have walled themselves off and you feel the tolerant people are tolerant but they don't celebrate in the area of ministry I've had with deliverance I have a lot of that a lot of it the moment you become a prophetic person you have a lot of that issue come up so so what about the fruit of betrayal well have a think about relationships you quit on that you gave up you sold them out you just you just didn't go and work it out like God said to work it out think about the number of relationships like that think about then your response to people, criticism, negative about them, speaking behind their back, gossip, that's hatred. When you're running down someone behind their back, oh, that's hatred. And you walk into the room and suddenly they, everyone stops talking. Don't tell me there was love there. There wasn't love. There was hate. There was 
And you know what it came out of? It came out of offense that led them to betray the relationship. You know, when someone looks you in the face and smiles and welcomes you and says nice things and then behind your back talk about you and run you down, that is betrayal. That's betrayal. That is betrayal. And it's a fruit, there's a root of hatred in the heart. And hatred causes, see the Bible tells us the person who hates is a murderer. Why? Because they have the same spirit hanging around their life that given the right opportunity would arise and kill the person next to them. Now listen, when you have a spirit of love around your heart and your heart is free from offense, you will reach out, celebrate people, draw them into your world and they feel touched by the life of God. When you have offenses in your heart, you wall them out and they feel like they're being with you that there's no life being ministered to them. You actually withheld or took life from them. Think about it. God is wanting to touch your heart. Let's just close our eyes right now. I wonder how many people here, as I've spoken and shared today, you have become aware I have taken offense. I've taken offense with my father, maybe my mother, family members, over money issues, taken offense over how I was treated in the family, how the older brother, older sister was treated different to me, younger one was treated different to me. Oh man, there's so many areas. How many people in your heart you can say, I've swallowed that lie of the devil, I've taken it in, and I've been allowing offense to rest in my heart. I can see how I've betrayed relationships and there's seeds and roots of hate that I never realized were there. As you sense that and see that in your heart, just talk to the Lord right now. Say, God, I want over these next months my relationships to change as my own heart becomes clean from offense and defilement. David said this, snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. He said, my soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. He's talking about the traps of offense the devil had set. And he said, my soul has escaped. God has broken that snare. My help is in the name of the Lord, who is my defender and my hope. If we want the snare to break, we need to turn to the Lord and say, God, I recognize and acknowledge these offenses. Lord, I open my heart to release them and let them go. Lord, I thank you that you came into this world, a world that was offensive to you. You didn't stay in heaven. You didn't reject us. You didn't cut us off. But Lord, you sent your only son into this world to walk into a world that was offensive in every way. And Lord, you, you, your son was treated so abominably. People hated him, abused him. Finally, we put him to death. And in all of this, you never harbored the offense, but you offered mercy to us. How can we do less when we see such love? Jesus, we thank you. Perhaps there's someone here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. Your life has been an offense to God and to others. In one moment of time, you can open your heart and life to Jesus Christ and receive Him as your Savior. I'd love you at the end of the meeting to talk to someone next to you and say, how do I become a Christian? Maybe come up to the front and talk with me, talk with one of the leaders. Say, how can I make the next step to walking with God? And for those of us who God really impacted this morning, let's let God work in our heart over these next months and become free of offense.
Everyone said, Amen. I want you to put your arm around some, give them a hug. Tell them, I'm starting to really appreciate the body of Christ. God bless you. Got a cup of tea upstairs for visitors. See you tonight. It'll be fantastic.